This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. Broadcasting from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. I'm Barbara Ramirez. Tonight on this special edition of Generation Justice, I speak with journalist, producer, host, and longtime DJ member, John Cooling Hill. John Cooling grew up in Kansas, Missouri and Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she attended Sandia High School. At the age of 15, she joined Generation Justice, then known as the KUNM Youth Radio Show. She graduated from Howard University with a BA in broadcast journalism and minored in political science. She has worked with multimedia news and television production through various blogs and internships, including the United States Senate, ABC's This Week, and NBC. In 2016, she was a production assistant at NPR National Public Radio, where she assisted with coverage of the 2016 election, including the Iowa caucuses, the New Hampshire primary, and the Republican and Democratic National Conventions. John Cooling has been a producer for the nationally syndicated program 1A. She's also part of PRX's Project Catapult Round 3 cohort and is currently part of the creative team and the host of the brand new podcast, Through the Cracks. I just want to note that there are not very many Black female producers under the age of 30 working at a national level. John Cooling Hill, welcome to Generation Justice. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Before we get started, I want to play a clip of you when you started at Youth Radio. Hi, my name is Jonquilin. I'm a sophomore at Sandia High School. I'm really active in church, and some people think that's corny or whatever, but I really honestly do enjoy it. I don't do it just because my parents make me like a lot of other kids do. It's something I really do have fun with. And I'm also active in my school's Model UN. It's just this program where kids from all around the states from all different schools come and they act like they're from a country and they write resolutions and you get to actually see the process of the actual United Nations. I just came from that in Santa Fe and that was really cool. Represented Madagascar and it was really weird because you have to go into it acting like you're from that country instead of going in with the United States mentality. You have to like get rid of all your personal biases and that was really hard. I'm in youth radio because it's something that I feel is necessary. A lot of the times teenagers' voices don't get to be heard or people have stereotypes against us saying, we don't know what we're talking about or we don't really care about anything, but we do. I chose the song Strength, Courage and Wisdom by India Ari because to me it's a really inspirational song and it's also a personal anthem I use for myself because it's positive and it's sort of inspires you when you're going through a rough time. That's my song and I hope you like it. Thank you. Behind my pride is me that knows humility Inside my voice there is a soul And in my soul 
Now, after listening to that clip, can you tell us more about yourself? Oh, yeah. That clip is so funny because I sound so young. Um, it's interesting because you keep the voice you have in your head all the time and you don't hear it change, but I can really hear the change there. Um, so like I said in that clip, um, my name is John Quillen Hill and I am a proud Generation Justice alumna. I still consider myself, you know, part of Generation Justice, part of that Generation Justice uh, diaspora. Um, I graduated from Sandia High School back in 2009. And after that, I moved to uh, Washington, D.C. to go to Howard University, where I majored in journalism. Uh, and now I work as a senior producer for 1A from WAMU and NPR. And I am also a reporter host for the podcast Through the Cracks from WAMU and PRX. John Fulling, I'm so excited uh, to be having this conversation with you today. Um, and we are so happy to have you here on Generation Justice this evening. John Fulling, this next clip that we are going to play is from an interview that you conducted back in 2007 after the Jena 6 Day of Solidarity. Thousands of people marched through the streets of Jena, Louisiana, in support of six Black teens who were arrested in 2006 for allegedly attacking a white classmate. Jonquilin Hill with Youth Radio here with... Cameron Cutler, RJ Britton. Okay, and this was at, right after the Jena 6 Day of Solidarity at Alchanda. And... I think I'll start the interview off with asking you all, what got you all involved with this problem? What made you all, what sparked your interest? What really made you want to say something about this problem? Well, what hit me was uh, I just walked in, walked in Afro where we all congregate and uh, just share stories about, you know, day, daily news and everything like that. And uh, I really didn't even know anything about it until Cameron here presented me with the story. So I looked over the story, I mean, I thought it was a little outrageous. So I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and participate in this with you. So, because I feel like I had something to say about it. And I wanted, to, I wanted to come here and get on the stage and let everybody else know how I felt about it. Well, uh, me personally, I can also relate to racism. Um, I know other, other African Americans or any other race can. And them being around my age was another push as well. So I can relate to them. And um, just to of having a voice and we can use it, you know, is a powerful thing. You know, I came from an outspoken family, and um, when I seen the outcome of the Jena 6, I didn't feel that was right. So any way that I can participate or be any part of this to, you know, get my voice out there and anybody else, especially a male African American. What was the impact of this event that you covered, and what impact did DJ and this experience have on your career path? Oh, wow. That interview in particular is very special to me because um, it was the first interview I did with Generation Justice and it was out in the field. And uh, I so I moved to Albuquerque um, when I was 12 from Kansas City. And it was really jarring for me um, because, you know, that's a I think that's a rough age for any kid. And then to sort of have your life uprooted and be in this new place that's unfamiliar to you uh it can be a lot and 
that event was the first time that I realized that, wow, there's a community here. There's a community here of people who care about people, who care about each other, who care about issues going on, not just in their own community, but around the country and around the world. And it really opened my eyes. And I think um, another aspect of that was I did not know those guys I was interviewing, but I was able to walk up with them with a microphone and they opened up to me and told me how they were feeling. And I think that there's a power there that I've really come um, to respect and appreciate. The fact that when you're a journalist, when you're doing an interview, you know, there's no reason for anyone to trust you. There's no reason for anyone to open up, but people do it anyway. And I think that's something that's really special um, and really amazing. And I'm really glad that Generation Justice opened me up to that. Prior to uh, volunteering with Generation Justice back in high school, you know, I, I didn't know that being a public radio journalist was an option. Um, you know, I always liked writing. I knew kind of like, oh, I want to do something where I write. I think being a journalist would be cool. But Generation Justice really opened my eyes um, to a path that I didn't know existed. Uh, it's the reason that I'm sitting here talking to you right now. It's the reason that, you know, I went off to major in journalism and now I work in it. I totally credit Generation Justice with that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Don Colleen. And we actually have one more clip that we want to share. Uh, this one is uh, from when you interviewed actor, director, and television host LaBar Burton in 2008. This is Jonathan with KUNM 89.9 Youth Radio here with LaVar Burton right after the Black History Month kickoff brunch on Saturday, January 26, 2008. And um, another point you made before you talked about literacy. Mm -hmm. And I remember being young and watching Reading Rainbow. You remember being young, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, or you I remember remember being little. I remember <laughs> watching Reading Rainbow uh -huh. and things like that. Right. And just the importance of reading in particular, like recently I started reading um, Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis. Mm. And she talked about how when the slaves were freed, the first thing they wanted to do was be able to read because they mm -hmm. wanted nothing more than to look in their Bible and understand right. what it says. Right. Why do you think reading is something that people just long for to do, something that's so important? You know, you raised such a good point. I believe that it is a fundamental aspect of being human, that thirst for literacy, to be able to decipher um, the written word in one's own native language, and then to go on and, you know, crack the code in another language. But to, to crack the code in at least one's native language opens up the wealth of knowledge and information that is the collected knowledge and information of a people. Again, it's about access. That's why the Internet is so powerful, because now everyone has access to information, and the gatekeepers no longer have a stranglehold on the ability of one to educate oneself. I just think it's, it's, it's as fundamental an aspect of being human as is our desire to gather around the fire and tell stories. Mm -hmm. And we don't so much gather around the fire these days, but we do... You know, we do get together and we share stories, be it, you know, in the kitchen or in a movie theater. 
But storytelling and sharing stories is a fundamental aspect of what it means to be human. That desire to read, to have knowledge of letters is, I really, I, I believe it's central to, to being, to being human. Mm -hmm. And um, there's another question I want to ask. And so I know you talked about education before and literacy. And um, I spent a good chunk of my like years in school under this administration mm -hmm. and the No Child Left Behind Act. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I, you know what? I would be such a fan of, of, of the No Child Left Behind policy if it indeed didn't leave any children behind. Mm -hmm. um, I am hopeful that this political season will bring about a, a real honest debate about the need and necessity uh, to improve our educational system in this country. In fact, I, I would love to, I'm a big supporter of Barack Obama, and, mm -hmm. and, and I don't care who you vote for, mm -hmm. I just think it's important to exercise the vote. Like you were talking about in Angela Davis's book, one of the first things that freed slaves wanted to do was learn how to read. There are a lot of folks who gave their lives mm -hmm. in order for me to have the opportunity to learn how to read. Mm -hmm. It was against the law at one time in this nation for a person whose skin was as dark as mine mm -hmm. to be caught reading a book or even being taught how to read. That law has changed. Conversely, I think it's equally important to remember that there are a lot of people who shed blood and lost life to give me the ability, the right to participate through one man, one vote in this democracy. I don't take it lightly. I don't take literacy lightly, and I don't take the right to vote lightly. All right, before you go, Mr. Burton, I just wanted to thank you again. Um, it's really a rare opportunity that I could sit down and talk with someone as prominent as yourself. And I just also wanted to thank you with the work you've done for and with the African-American community. You know, it's been my pleasure. I, I've had a really good time here in New Mexico, and I've met a lot of fantastic people. Uh, I hope to be back real soon. Okay. Thanks, John Quinn. Thank you so much again. Thank you. I'm John Quinn Hill with Youth Radio for KUNM 89.9, Albuquerque, Santa Fe. Um, <laughs> it's very funny to listen to 17-year-old me ask LeVar Burton about the No Child Left Behind Act. It's just very uh, surreal and a throwback in a variety of ways, I think, both when it comes to policy and my age and my line of questioning. It's just really funny. Um, and shout out to Generation Justice, too, because I think, I'm trying to think, that might be mm, maybe some others in college, but that's definitely like the top five maybe top three highest profile interviews I've conducted like um and just to have that opportunity at 17 was really amazing I will never forget that day I will never ever forget that day that's amazing that you got to interview him but I want to talk about this clip because as a youth producer now on DJ um, I heard that LaVar Burton got more interested when you said that you were reading Angela Davis and he was like, oh, let's talk about this. 
Yeah, it was really amazing. Um, so I happened upon an Angela Davis book on my dad's shelf. And I was like, I'm just going to pick this up and read it. Uh, and I think it's one of, it's a text that really, um, I say this all the time, but it's a text that really did change my life because I think it got at intersectionality before um, I knew what to call it. It was very interesting because, I don't know, she was just like, Black women face sexism and racism. And that kind of blew my mind at the age of 17 um, because it verbalized things that I could feel and experience, but I had never heard put into words before. And so because I'd read this book and, you know, I'm this 17 year old, a little bit of a hipster trying to be cool. I'm like, oh, well, I was reading Angela. Let me just drop to LeVar Burton that I was reading an Angela Davis book. Uh, I was like, let me do this little flex. And then um, the line of questioning got there. And I thought that was really, that was really interesting. And it's amazing to kind of sit back and listen and like see what your line of thinking was when you were, you know, so much younger, you know? Yes. Thank you for sharing more about this experience. Um, when I listened to it for the first time, I was like, oh, um, because I don't know, I just see myself as a 17 year old, like conducting an interview like this. It was a big deal that you talked to him, you know, um, and that he, he knew that you were reading Angela Davis. That was, that blew my mind too. <laughs> it was a really, like, I will never forget that day. I think somewhere on Facebook, there's a picture of me in like, um, cause it was the aughts. So I think I was in, you know, I was wearing a t-shirt and a cropped blazer because that was the height of fashion. And that was me dressing up to go interview LeVar Burton. Um, and it was just really, really amazing because he's, this man who had been so influential in my childhood and a lot of our childhoods and getting the opportunity to sit down and to be taken seriously and to have my questions answered. I felt really powerful in that moment talking with LeVar Burton because um, there's a power to having a microphone and having people listen to you. And I think when you're younger, when you're a teenager, people have a tendency to kind of count you off and not listen to you. And I think that was one of the most important things for me. It's like with this microphone in my hand, when I sit down in the chair, when I get in behind the engineering board, like people pay attention to what I have to say. I'm taking seriously and I'm, it's important. And that meant a lot to me and it still means a lot to me. I would like to know more about your experience at DJ. So I want to ask you to share with us um, a DJ memory that you have and that you carry with you. Oh man. Um... There are so many. I was telling uh, Roberta this earlier, but I look back and we were just so full of energy and so, for lack of a better word, squirrely. That's like kind of the, that's the adjective I can think of. We just had so much energy. And so um, it would be nothing for us to have a music break and just start singing along to music and like dancing around in the studio in our chairs um there were so many good like snacks we would just eat so much nutella just have so much sugar and just have this be the best time making radio it was just it was so fun and so freeing just those sunday afternoons there was nothing like it nothing like it at all i think one time in particular um 
the song was ain't no mountain high enough and just the singing that we did was it was so amazing like talk about a karaoke time talk about karaoke and then the minute the music stopped it's we got back on mic real quick and got back to reading our scripts before we get into your current work and new podcast let's play a bit of music you brought us here is living for the city by stevie wonder Mississippi surrounded by for what that ain't so pretty his parents give him love and affection to keep him strong moving in the right direction living just enough just enough for the city welcome back to generation justice and this evening we are featuring John Cooling Hill a longtime family member of DJ, currently a producer of nationally syndicated 1A, and now host of a new podcast, Through the Cracks, out of WAMU. To listen to Through the Cracks podcast, visit wamu.org slash through the cracks. Junkling, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us this evening. It's really great to be here. It's really great. So tell us more about your production work at WAMU and 1A. Right. So I started with um, 1A back in 2016. Um, I started there as an associate producer. And sort of the gist of the show is that we're a national talk show. Uh, We produce two hours of radio a day. And our big thing really is the First Amendment and cultivating a place to have... um, these national conversations. And one thing that I like to say is we can do an hour on anything from Cardi B to the Chinese Communist Congress, which are both shows that I've produced um, and shows that I really enjoyed producing. Um, Our host is Jen White and she's great. Um, There's a fantastic team over there on 1A. And um, after I was an associate producer, I became a producer and now I'm a senior producer over there. So I've been able to move up Um, a bit as I've learned more and more and it's been a really great experience. So now you're producing and hosting a brand new powerful podcast Through the Cracks. Please share more about this podcast and if we can talk about the production of it first. Right so um, Through the Cracks is a podcast about Relisha Rudd who is an eight-year-old girl who went missing from a homeless shelter when she was in second grade back in 2014. 18 days passed before anyone realized something was wrong and um, she was last seen in the care of a janitor who worked at the shelter um, later on his wife and he was found dead and she still hasn't been found so the way I describe the podcast is it's less of a whodunit and more of a howdunit how could you know a little girl go missing for that long um who was looking out for her, who maybe saw something and didn't speak up. So that's what the podcast is about. As far as production, I mean, it's been, it's been in the production phase for quite a while. I first pitched it actually when I first started working at WAMU back in 2016. Um, And it wasn't until around 2018 that I was able to get the go ahead and explore it more. And we secured funding for the podcast via grants 
in 2019. So I've been working on this podcast um, actively as far as production goes for about two years now. Um, so it really is a labor of love. It's been a long time coming and I'm really happy to have it out in the world. So Jonquilin, talk to me about the difference um, producing a podcast uh, than a regular radio program. Oh, wow. Can I tell you that there is a difference? I think when it comes to doing a live radio show, you know, there's always a looming deadline. You know that, especially doing Generation Justice. There's a moment where you have to take your hands off of it and it's like, okay, it is what it is. We're just going to put it out in the world. But with a podcast, um, you get more time. And I think that can be both a blessing and a curse because you're constantly toying with it. And so you don't always know when to let go. Um, of course, now that we're in the production schedule, there is a time that we have to let go. But it's it's interesting because it's um, it's stretching different muscles. I think there's an adrenaline rush to a live show and working on a podcast is more of a slow burn. Um, it's been really interesting with this because, you know, I've been doing interviews with family members or reaching out to city officials and sometimes getting responses, sometimes not getting responses and filing things like Freedom of Information Act requests to try to get documents to figure out, you know, what was going on at this agency at this time or at that time. So it, it's really interesting because they both stretch these journalism muscles, but very different ones. One is very fast paced and you do it and then it's gone and then you're on to the next one. And the other is a little bit more of a slow build and a little more um, cultivated in a way. So that's been an interesting contrast to experience. Thank you for sharing that. And what were some of the challenges in putting this podcast together? Oh, yeah. I mentioned before, you know, sometimes you get a response from an interview subject. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you'll reach out to, you know, a family member or a family friend and they want to talk. Sometimes they don't. Um, and that was something always to balance. Another challenge was, I think, one that is talked about more and more, but imposter syndrome. Typically, I'm a producer. I'm a person behind the scenes. So I was very nervous about getting on mic, despite the fact that for years at Generation Justice, I had been on mic. Um, but I think sometimes you can get in your head and like, oh, do I sound like a host? Do I, <laughs> is this, is this right? And, you know, we all kind of know public radio tends to be very white. Um, I am a black woman and there we, we exist out here in the public radio space, but there's not a lot of us. So um, I think I always had a little bit of trepidation about that, you know, uh, a little self-consciousness about like, oh, do I deserve to be telling this story or can I do it? Uh, just kind of that second guessing. And, you know, after a while you start to shake it off. I think, you know, everyone has a little bit of that. I think it does keep you kind of humble, but it's, it's good to remember, wait, no, I'm capable as anyone and I can do this. Before we move on, I just want to say that I think your voice is the perfect voice to to like narrate the this podcast. I think it sounds smooth and you sound like a super professional host, which you are. Um, but yeah, I enjoy hearing your voice so much on this podcast. And the, even though it's really hard to digest and listen to, your voice uh, makes it a little bit easier to listen to. Um, and Thank now, you. 
yeah <laughs> I think um it's funny listening back to the generation justice clips because I'm like oh my gosh I sound so young but you still sound like yourself I don't know it's a very weird experience to have now I want to talk about the content of Through the Cracks podcast. Your website states Through the Cracks investigates gaps in our society and the people who fall through them. And in the first season, you, Donkolin, ask if religious disappearance was, as the city later claimed, unpreventable. Why did you want to tell these stories? Um, when people ask why religious story in particular has stuck with me for so long um, because she disappeared back in 2014. It's been several years. Um, I'm honest. It's, it's because she's a little black girl and in our society, little black girls aren't protected. Um, the world can be a very cruel and hard place and children need a soft place to land. And little black girls often aren't given that. Um, there was a study from Georgetown Law a few years ago, and it was about the adultification of Black girls um, and how when we're younger, people often assume we're older. And, you know, that can lead to a variety of things. It can lead to over-sexualization. It can lead to harsher punishments in school and, you know, in court. And this is a story of a little girl who was failed by a lot of people. Um, and so I really wanted to explore that. And I hope what people get from this is to check on the little black girls in their life to make sure they're not being failed, to allow them the freedom to be a child, to have their innocence, to make mistakes and to grow from those mistakes um, and to have a soft place to land. And I had never heard about the um, adultification is that mm -hmm. of black girls? And that's so true. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, they don't look the same way at a eight-year-old black girl than a white girl. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's something that carries through the years. Um, there, yeah, it's something that carries through the years, even as an adult, like who has sympathy for you, um, who gets to do certain things and who doesn't. And I think it's important to acknowledge things like that. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to a clip of the first episode of Through the Cracks, when you spoke with Ashley Young, religious aunt. When the weekends came and they was in the shelter, my niece and my nephews, all of them, was at my home. They called my home baby boo camp. Ashley is Shamika's younger sister. Relisha's aunt. The detectives went directly from the shelter to Ashley's house, also in southeast D.C. They came to my door. They had their guns drawn. They asked me did they have permission to search because Relisha was missing, and I gave them permission to come in to look around and basically to feel free to see that she was not at my home. And she wasn't. Relisha was not at Ashley's house. From that moment, that's when I found out that she was missing. I didn't even know that she was gone. Ashley hadn't seen Relisha either for about 18 days. So tell me about what it was like for you to produce Through the Cracks emotionally and otherwise. Oh man. So there, um, there was an instance where 
I did two interviews back to back. I spoke with Antonio, who was Relisha's stepfather, a father figure in her life, and Melissa, um, Relisha's grandmother. And it was back to back. And I just remember um, they were telling me what it was like when they found out Relisha was missing, the emotions of it. And I walked away really drained. Um, it was really, it was really hard. It was really difficult. And I also couldn't help but think, you know, I just sat here and heard about this. What about the people who actually lived it? Um, and I think that's taken its toll. It's definitely, um, is it definitely takes its emotional toll. At times it can be draining. And so what I try to do when that happens is to try to keep it in perspective. Um, yeah it's been, it's, it's, it is emotionally draining at times. Sometimes stories are, are really sad. And I think, I think that's with anything you covered, like on one A, I do a lot of politics. Um, and I live in DC, so you're confronted with a lot. I think the pandemic covering that can be very tiring. And I think no matter what, what you're covering can take a real emotional toll on you mm -hmm. and you kind of have to often check in with, your, with yourself and be like okay in what way will I allow myself to be kind to myself today and use that as an opportunity to recharge because that's the only way you're going to be able to do stories justice is, it, is if you're taking care of yourself too. Mm -hmm. Yes and I, I cannot imagine how hard it must have been for you to investigate and talk to Relisha's family. Um, what did you do to take care of yourself as you listened to the stories of Relisha and her family? Mm, I think as it was happening um, I held my own loved ones very close of course not physically because we are in the middle of a pandemic but just you know checking in with them seeing how they're doing um I feel grateful for friends and family that I can talk to um I think physical activity has been a big help I've been trying to you know work out more take care of myself um one thing that I need to do more of but try to do is to get enough sleep And just to be able to recharge so that, you know, in the morning when I wake up, I can get up and, you know, attack a story the way I need to. I would like to share a clip from episode two of Through the Cracks when you spoke to Melissa Young, Relisha's grandmother. According to Melissa, her mom struggled with her mental health. But at the time, all Melissa knew was that she had to take on a lot of the work around the house cooking, cleaning, paying the bills, handling the family's food stamps. Melissa's parents split up when she was about four years old, and Melissa and her brother lived primarily with their mom. Their housing situation wasn't stable. The three of them were never formally evicted, no stuff put out on the curb, but Melissa remembers at least 10 different addresses she called home. Still, housing insecurity wasn't the worst thing she remembers. According to Melissa, There was also physical and sexual abuse at the hands of several family members. If I let my guard down, that's when people gonna start taking advantage of me. Relisha mm -hmm. was reported missing 18 days after the last time she was seen. Why is it so important to focus on the systems that fail communities of color and especially Black children? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because a lot of times when people are confronted with a story, um, 
they have questions for the family, which I think does make sense. There are questions for them, but there are a lot of safety nets that Relisha came in contact with. Um, members of the community, people who worked at the shelter where she lived, people at the school, um, her family came in contact with a variety of social workers. And so what I wanted to explore was the fact that there are these safety nets in place. In theory, something like this shouldn't happen because there are protections. So what happened to those protections and what's going on? DC has this nickname of Chocolate City, but people joke now that it's more like a chocolate chip city. Uh, It's now 46, around 46% Black, which is, you know, still the majority Um, but it used to be over 70% black. And so there's a question of, okay, why are people leaving? Is it affordability? Is it quality of life? Um, who are we taking care of as the city begins to change? And I think this is one kind of slice of that pie to look at. John Quillen, what do you hope listeners will take away from this podcast? Wow. There are so many things. I hope that, um, They come away and say, you know, that was a really good and nuanced story that was fair to every single person and entity involved. I definitely want that. Um, But I also want them to come away, you know, asking themselves, what can I do to help and support the most vulnerable people in my life and in the town or city where I live? What can I do to make sure that no one in my community falls through the cracks. When I first listened to the first episode of Through the Cracks, I was in tears because of how sad the story is. And it just made me mad how I was trying to look it up because I got so interested in the in the story and I wanted answers and I couldn't find any answers. So I was like, why is there not enough information about this? And then I was like, That's why the podcast is called Through the Cracks. It was just so sad to listen to, but at the same time, I was so thankful that I learned about Relisha and about her family. And I didn't know about this case in particular. And the work that you're doing with this podcast is so essential. Like telling people's stories is so important and it needs to be told and we all need to learn about it. If it was difficult for me that I'm just a listener, I cannot imagine how hard it was for you to produce and host this podcast. Yeah, it was it was a real challenge. Um, there there are some real heartbreaking stories in there, um, and time and time again, I walked away with just like how much can one person can one family go through? Um, in particular, I think of Antonio Relish's stepfather. Um, he tells a story about his childhood and sort of his experience dealing with um, tragedy when he was like 11 or 12 years old. And I just remember he told me that story and I walked away kind of in shock, just like, oh my God, like how much, how much can people, how much can people be expected to go through? Um, yeah. It's really, it's a really heartbreaking story. It's really tragic. And I think that's why it drew me in too, because just of how, how unfair it feels, how unfair it feels. Mm -hmm. 
So I really hope that you know how important this work is and the great job that you're doing and the production team of Through the Cracks. Um, even though it's super sad, it's important that we listen to it and that we feel uncomfortable and that we know that this shouldn't happen again and we need to do whatever it takes so that there are no more black girls who are missing like mm -hmm. it's not okay and we need to feel this way we need to feel sad and uncomfortable yeah it's really interesting because you know um I try to be as careful as I can with the statistics and stuff like around 99 I think over 99% of people who go missing in DC are found um but this is not one of those stories and as much as things like this are rare Um, when they happen to white people, they get more attention. I think of John Benet Ramsey, you know, I know her name and I think she and I, like if she were still alive, um, she would be my age. And I know that story all those years later, and it's a household name. It's known across the country, possibly around the world, but so few people outside of the DC metro area know Relisha Rudd's name. And that, to me, that's one of the greater issues. It's like, okay, we have this disparity. Um, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. um, I'm from Venezuela, and I know about John Bennett's case. And that's in South America. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Yes. So it's like, okay, why, why is it that we know these cases? And that's not to say we shouldn't know them, No, mm -hmm. but you know, why don't more people know about Relisha Rudd? Yeah, we should know about Relisha Rudd too in Venezuela and everywhere. Um, where can people find more information about your podcast and where can they subscribe? Yes. So um, you can find more information about the podcast at wamu.org slash through the cracks um there not only can you find episodes but we'll be posting um bonus content so right now we have a timeline there of the disappearance and you can get through the cracks on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts um i'm so happy and thankful that i got to have this conversation with you and i I'm studying communications. I want to be a journalist, just like you. What advice would you give me? Oh, man. Um, there is so much. Just, you know, uh, there will be times that you'll make mistakes and it will feel like the end of the world, but it's not. Also, journalism can be a very tough industry. And I've sadly seen a lot of really talented women of color get pushed out of it um unfairly and so it's less advice to you because I know that you're gonna work hard and that you're tough and that you're gonna stick with it and do it but I guess my advice would be to the industry as a whole is to stop making such a toxic environment for young journalists you know um people should be able to work in journalism and not worry about harassment and bullying So I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to be amazing and you're going to do it. Um, I think, you know, it's people like me and the, those of us who are working in this industry to make the industry as safe and as much of a place conducive to growth for you and the next generation of journalists as we can. Thank you. And I know it's going to be hard, but I look up to you and I admire you and 
if you made it, I'll make it too. So that means a lot. I don't know if you know how much that actually means to me because I just remember just like really wanting it, like wanting it so bad. And then getting the opportunity to do it, sometimes it still feels unbelievable. Um, And I just feel grateful to have, you know, like this network of people to rely on and to like call home. That's really great. You know, not too long ago, I was interviewing people on Generation Justice like you are right now. And I really can't wait to tune in. And when they inevitably interview you and I get to listen and be like, oh, she interviewed me. I knew her before she was famous. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I am so honored and proud of interviewing you after your podcast. It really means a lot to me. And here at Generation Justice, we're so proud of you and like all that you have done um, nationally. I mean, the things that you've done are really great. And that's why how I said I admire you. But I also want to thank you for the work that you're doing with the podcast. It's really important and essential. And we need to keep working um, towards a better future and rebuild systems as needed. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time, but we can't give up. And the work that you're doing is just so important. And I was so excited to talk to you today because connecting with DJ alumni or like longtime family members, because you never leave DJ, even if you move to DC or whatever you You move. (laughs) Yes. But connecting to longtime members, it just makes me like think and reflect about the history of Generation Justice, that there have been so many people and young people that have come through the program like you and now are doing great professionally and they're actors and they're journalists they're just doing so much that it makes me excited about my own future and like know where I'm standing and how important the work that I'm doing at DJ is too so yeah I'm really excited to see whatever is next for you because I know it's going to be phenomenal and I just feel very like grateful and humbled that um I get to watch it happen like ah I'm so excited for you (laughs) Just like in life, that just really is exciting to me. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Barbara Ramirez. To learn more about Through the Cracks podcast, visit wamu.org slash through the cracks. Now we bring you Strength, Courage, and Wisdom by India Ari. Before we close our program tonight, we have one calendar announcement for youth. The third annual New Mexico Diversity Conference for Youth will be held on each Saturday between February 20th and March 20th. 
This year, the conference activities are open to students in New Mexico and across the U.S., as all activities are virtual. To learn more about the conference and for registration information, visit ycdiversity.org. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of sharing community. We'd like to thank our guest, John Colin Hill. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael and myself, Barbara Ramirez, with editing support from Kateri Zuni, engineering support from Antonio Garcia, and thank you to our social media producers, Lily Lucao and Madumita Santana. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Conalma Health Foundation, the NEE Casey Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I am Barbara Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.